We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's a win, Macedozo and Lacazette score goals. I'm not saying the apocalypse is upon us, but if you have a bunker, now might be the time to go there. This is the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. All good things. All good things. Arsenal win. Check. Arsenal score many goals. Check. Arsenal concede. Let me make sure I have this correct. No goals. Check. Ozil scores. Lacazette scores. Brilliant performances from young players. Mustafi not one Mustafi made the whole game. My goodness, folks. It is a new dawn, and it appears that the Dubai sun was just what the doctor ordered. Maybe not for the first 30 minutes, and maybe not for the hirsute Matteo Genduzzi. We will get to that anon, because we got to start with the good stuff. And the good stuff is who's here with me. Paul, you can find him on Twitter. Pause my pants. Hello, pause. Woohoo. Clive, you can find him on Twitter at Clive PAFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. And Tim, you can find him on Twitter at Stoberto. Hello, Tim. Hello there. That opening sort of rolled off my tongue uh, more than usual today. I've had a lot of coffee, and I feel like that that's really the secret. But also, we haven't had something this good to discuss in a long time, and I'm really excited to do it. Uh, we got no real advertisements for you except to say uh, we will do a Patreon podcast this week that will be a second-half rewatch. Clive, I assume you are uh, going to be okay rewatching that second half? No, you just sort of pushed me under pressure. In fact, the whole podcast. Yep, I can do it. No problem. Hey, hey, it's like Dennis Birdcamp. You say, hit me the ball as hard as you can. It's my job to control it, right? I put you on the spot for a podcast. It's your job to show up. So we will be doing that. So if you'd like to sign up for our, our Patreon, we'd love it. We'd really appreciate it. And if you don't, we also love it anyway that you're here. So all good. Enough about that. Um, 
I, I do want to call out Tim, who made me look foolish on Twitter because I was bitching and moaning about uh, how bad the weather was going to be and how it would ruin our game ahead of time because Tim had told me that it was like apocalyptically bad weather. And then a bunch of people from the stadium like sent me pictures where it was just kind of overcast and normal. So, Tim, you have anything to say for yourself as a meteorologist? Well, what the weather was like um, at kickoff and what it was like when people were leaving their homes would, would, would be quite different. And uh, I still have the soaking wet clothes to prove it. <laughs> well, um, I, I can tell you that in America, there's a bad past to people producing soaking wet clothes as evidence of things. Um, so that's <laughs> a political joke, which nobody wants. So let's move on. Um, okay, enough about that, Tim. The uh, the lineup, obviously a talking point. I, we're going to skip bad stuff and get to good stuff early, but I do want to just discuss the lineup. I think, you know, again, we, we've had some of these situations with Arteta where you could make the argument that if it was Emery, everybody would be up in arms, but Arteta has maybe earned the right and has also just been given the right to have a little more patience. This was what you might call experimental and a couple of head scratching mm-hmm. things. Ganduzi not in the side and we'll certainly um not in the squad. We'll talk about that later. Uh, Maitland Niles continues to be left out. But interestingly, Lacazette on the bench, not for Martinelli, not for Aubameyang up front, but for Eddie and Kedia. And Ceballos did come into midfield and and uh Mustafi seems to be first choice. So for you were you still sort of shrugging your shoulders and say, I trust Arteta? Or did you have any kind of anxiety about this when you saw it? Um, I didn't have anxiety about it, but um, I, I guess I didn't really know what to expect because there'd been this two-week break. I was I was expecting something different. I just didn't know what that something would be. And I guess Ceballos in midfield and Nketiah were those th- that something um, I, I was really happy to see Ceballos um, in the starting lineup. I kind of advocated for this uh, when he came back from injury, just to make us well a done, little bit Tim. more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, and uh, just to make us um, a little bit more offensively dangerous and keep the ball moving a little bit more quickly. Um, I'm not really sure that happened in the first thirty minutes, and that was my real gripe, actually. But um, and and uh, yeah, Inketia coming in, um, I, I didn't. I, I didn't think he'd drop both of Lacazette and Ozil. I suspected one of them would come out. Um, and I guess there isn't really a totally natural replacement for Ozil unless you play Willock there, who's a very different type of player. Whereas Nketiah, I guess, is broadly similar to Lacazette. Still not really similar. but um, So I, I didn't find that absolutely shocking. I wouldn't say I'd have put money on it happening. But when it happened, I thought, oh, OK, that's, you know, that's kind of fair enough because he's he's kind of a more natural fit for that position than Martinelli. I think Martinelli's still more suited to maybe the inside left role. So, um, yeah, and, and you know, he's he's kind of nailed his colours to the mast on Mustafi. He'd, he'd picked him for the last few games and he's he's, you know, not made a huge error since that Chelsea game. So probably no real reason to take him out at the moment. Um, so I, I guess those things didn't surprise me. I guess what kind of did surprise me was in the first half, you know, Xhaka wasn't really doing that that quasi left-back role. He was he was a lot more advanced. He was a lot more pushed up in midfield. And I wondered what Arteta might do to get, you know, to juice a little bit more offensive power um, out of this team. And I think that was it more than the personnel because the system didn't really change. And... Mm. And, you know, some of the players that changed were fairly like for like, maybe not Sabios so much. But, um, yeah, so I, I I thought a thing would happen. I wasn't really sure what it was, um, but I, I was I was OK to roll with it because I, I think 
we'd, we'd gone a little bit stale in that last <laughs> that last game or two before the break. Yeah, and I mean, I I could pick a nit with the Eddie Enkedia selection in that if you want a sort of lower touch in the box goal scoring ish kind of striker we happen to have one <laughs> uh you have him playing out yeah. at left wing <laughs> yeah but i i don't i don't really think that that was the role intended for inketia because because i think basically i think he wanted someone to do an impression of lacazette because lacazette even though not playing well has been performing a function that the arteta finds valuable among abamyang probably doesn't really do also in in you know Arteta's system, as we as we've seen it, the centre forward role is not the glamorous one. In fact, that's quite an unglamorous role um, in this setup. The the role you really want, if you're picking, is the inside left, and that's why Aubameyang and Martinelli have been the goal scorers because that's where they've been playing, and actually everything's set up for them to be the goal scorer because they're the ones we're making space for, whereas the the centre forward is the one kind of doing a little bit of the donkey work and I, and I kind of think that's that's possibly why he went with Nketiah not because he thought that he'd be a, a massive goal threat but because he thought well I can probably get him to do a workable impression of what Lacazette's been doing yeah and my only argument would be that he didn't really and I think that was no. sort of part of the challenge that first 30 minutes that wasn't great you know and, and to be fair look when a team doesn't want any of the ball and they want to sit deep and just punt it long to, to counter you it is hard to break them down, and we did struggle to do that, and a lot of teams are going to struggle to break down low blocks, and eventually we broke them down, and we, we will discuss how that happened. You know, I saw an interesting statistic, though, that the only team that was able to restrict Newcastle from making fewer long balls, they, they are like the most long ball team in the Premier League, and the only team that restricted them to fewer completed long balls in a game this season was Leicester, who's also a very sort of pressing, harrying kind of team. And so I, I think we deserve a lot of credit for that. Our PPDA was really low. In other words, like we, we were getting the ball off them very quickly. And then eventually we, we did, you know, start to, to find openings in, the, in that defense. So it did take us time. The interesting thing, I think, Clive, is that there are three or four different players who could be considered man of the match in this one. But the one I want to focus on with you for for now is just I want to jump right to the the sort of exciting young player of the moment. And it seems like there is an exciting young player of the moment quite frequently around Arsenal right now. And that is Bukayo Saka. Just 18, playing really well. Uh, Arteta has complained that he doesn't have real fullbacks playing at fullback apart from Bellerin. Well, he'd be lucky to have more not real fullbacks like Saka. But I think Arteta also deserves huge credit because the way he's constructed the system with the, the massive left-sided overload, look at a heat map. If you get a chance, go to whoscored.com and look at the heat map for Bellerin and look at it for Saka. You know, Bellerin's, you'd say, that's kind of a fullback heat map, just sort of kind of advanced. And Saka's, you'd say, that's, that's a left-wing heat map. So, you know, Arteta is getting the most out of Saka through the system by letting him play more like a winger or a wing back, and Saka's responding with tremendous performances. I mean... It seems silly to throw this over to you by saying how impressed were you with Saka, but how impressed are you with Saka? <laughs> yeah, he was all right, wasn't he? <laughs> he was fine. <laughs> I mean, he's it's ending really... lives out there. To, to pull off that nutmeg, you know, in a Premier League game like that, that's just, you know, that's it's Rondo stuff. It's called the Little Chili. <laughs> the Little Chili. Okay. Yeah, he was interviewed uh, after the game, and that's what they call that little nutmeg, the Amazing. Little Chili. Mm. No, I think it's um, it's not very often you get so many academy players arrive at the same time and they've all got a bit of something about them and we all get a bit excited myself included <laughs> massively excited about them but uh, I, I do like um this group i do like the fact that they've 
they're coming through together. They've got a nice bit of speed about them. They're quite, you know, they're quite physical for their ages. And they've got a level of intensity about them. And that can be used in many different ways in the modern game. And so I've often felt in, in the past we've had some very nice footballers that, that may not be robust enough to really affect premiership football. And, and these, this group has. Um, Saka's got a nice... I love the way he rolls people. I just like the way he rolls people. And when he gets into moments where he has to pass it, what I do is I look at his technique. And if he really frames the ball nicely... And he really looks at the ball. I know he sounds crazy, man, but he really cares on that final pass. Watch the videos again and look how he looks right at the ball, looks right at the shape of the ball, and he's shaping it at the right level of pace and touch and accuracy. And Can I add something to that, fluke. Clive, just because it's, it's just what you were mentioning and I, I don't want to lose it in the, in the moment here. I, in his post-match interview, he actually referenced that cross that Pepe taps in saying, I was looking for Eddie, that, that pass would have been cut out, so I looked back and I saw Pepe. Like, it wasn't Nicola Sinach head down, hammered as hard as you can through the box. Like, he really had a target and picked he him cares. out. Yeah. yeah, he cares about that delivery. He really focuses on it. He, he recognizes the importance of it. I mean, we all know how important it is, but... Some people just put it in there. Well, what you're really doing is you're giving it away. You're giving it away in an area where you can be broken on. So you've got to be really careful when you play those passes. And, you know, Ersel's a good example of someone who's always done it quite well. He hasn't crossed it into the box. He's passed it into the box for years. He's made his reputation on it. And I think Saka's passing it into the box. He's really picking people out as if it's a forward player from centre midfield. And that, that's that's really cool. That's really cool. And, uh, yeah, he, I just see him as a good player. Don't want to pick him, put him into a left back or left wing at the moment. He has the, the intensity, the speed, the technique. He can go both ways. He takes shots off both feet. He's really accurate on his final ball. He seems to calm down under pressure when the pressure's at its highest moment, which is in the last third in the penalty box, when 55, 60,000 people suddenly flip, stand up and their seats flick up when you're about to take a pass. That's pressure, right? And he seems to calm down in those moments. So, you know, if you're scouting him, you just go tick, delivers under pressure regularly. And, um, yeah, so he's quite exciting to watch him. And let's just hope that we, we do get a chance to watch him. You know what I mean? Let's not make sure. Yeah, yeah. his contract situation was, needs to get resolved, huh? Yeah, it does. And he's probably just snuck up on a few people. But to be honest, everyone's known about him at the club for a long time. He's been through the England pathway as well. He's not a surprise. It's interesting he's got to the last 18 months. I remember my friends online, Charles, posted something that he shares the agent with Jaden Sancho, which worries me a little bit because he's no fool about getting getting people in the right place to position their careers. But that's just my little worry because I'm hoping that the kids come through Hayland, he's not going to mess about, he's going to stay, and um, you know, and we'll be able to watch him for many, many years develop into whatever he wants to be. Yeah, Because and- I, I don't think he's going to be a one of those that arise and disappears. Yeah, I was talking to Gunnerblog on Twitter about this, you know, James, um, about him playing left back. And, you know, I, I think what Arteta is forcing us to do with these systems is think more about the areas p- players occupy on the pitch rather than the formation or the, the specific position they're playing because he is occupying wide forward positions a lot. Um, that's not to say he's not tracking back and defending, but there were times when Aubameyang was deeper than Saka defending. Um, and I, I do sort of wonder when Tierney is back, Will Aubameyang move central and, and will Saka play that left wing position? Um, you know, I, I wonder what what Arteta sees as, as Saka's future, but whatever it is, I mean, the talent is obvious. 
Paul, before this became a laugher, before it became a comfortable, easy win, it was a bit of a slog for the first 30 minutes. You know, I think a lot of people will point to this game and say, oh, second half was brilliant, first half was shit. I actually think the last hour was pretty good. Um, that around the half hour, 35 minute mark, we started to turn it around. And while Ceballos and Saka and Pepe are all candidates for man of the match, the per- the, the player whose performance started to turn the game for me is Mesut Ozil. Um, he was anonymous for those first 25, 30 minutes, and then slowly but surely was getting on the ball, was dropping in, was moving right across the pitch, all through the line, um, but between the lines. And, and there's not really a lot mm-hmm. of space between lines for Newcastle because mm-hmm. they do really pack it kind of closely together. But as they started to try to counter us a bit more and some of those spaces popped up, I, I thought Ozil really was influential in turning the tide of the game. And, and if he didn't ultimately wind up being the man of the match, maybe he was the man of the change in the match, if that makes sense. Yeah, good. So um, nice setup. I think the game changed on 31 minutes. That's when it's kind of like dominatrix. Can I tell you what changed it then? On 30 minutes, I tweeted out something nasty and moaning about how poorly we were playing. So you're welcome. (laughs) It worked because on 31 minutes is when Ozil does that. He receives the ball to feet with his back to upfield and he flicks it around the player, the midfielder, and then outside of his left, Boot puts Aubameyang through with one ball on goal, and Aubameyang could have done better. And from there, the tempo's kind of set. It, it, um, but I do think you got to evaluate it as a pair of players. I think him and Sabayos. Sabayos keeps finding Ozil and keeps opening up the play. He's much more of a joker in the middle of midfield doing the thing Santi used to do in terms of finding Ozil. And Ozil... Is not. I mean, we know that he's not a self-contained player. There are games that don't work for him, setups that don't work for him. Uh, being out of possession isn't something that suits him. But uh, just having a formation isn't enough. You need that other player, that player before Ozil. And Sabayas and Ozil, I actually think both Sabayas and Ozil were the same all the way through the game. I think from minute one, they were doing the same things. It just mm. wasn't quite coming off a little later on. Um, uh, Newcastle were extremely compact with this 5-4-1. They're very good at it. They got results against big teams. And it was working. And it was kind of... But we weren't getting the movement um, ahead of those two. I think Sabayas and Ozil did the same th- thing pretty much through this game and just started to click around that 30-minute mark <clears throat> and through to the end of that half. And we kind of doubled down on it in the second half. I think Tim's right about Chaka uh, maybe not falling into that left left back spot as much in the first half. Um as he does in the second half. But I think it's almost a momentum thing, cause and effect. I think as the play, as the momentum, uh, we leaned into it and they maybe sat, began to sit back a little bit more and accept their role. Um, that allowed Saka to push up, which re- almost necessitates Chaka swinging to the left. And you see many instances in the first half of Ceballos taking up the more central position and pointing uh, to others where to move the ball. He's really quick. He really zips it along. And that means when the ball goes through to Ozil, he's in a pocket of space because, uh, you know, Ceballos doesn't blink. Uh, We've seen him playing those dangerous balls out of deep midfield. But when it starts to come off, uh, those things fly around so that Ozil's in a pocket of space and, you know, the... 
Sabias has drawn attention to himself, then Ozil's got it, and he's got his he's got his head up, and he's got his options. So I think those two guys, uh, if we can find a way to get them on the pitch, and that's not that easy to do away from home and in other formations, but uh, that was what lit up for me. That's why Ozil came to life in this one. Yeah, and in fairness to Sabias, I I don't think he is credited enough for what I think is a pretty good job tracking back defensively. I definitely think he's, you know, pretty switched on doing that. You know, the funny thing with Ozil is just there's a part of me that wants peak Ozil back. And once you sort of accept you're not getting peak Ozil back, you look at a performance like this and you say, that's a really valuable player and a really valuable performance. I don't know if you remember, he he played one pass into Enkedia at the top of the box for a snapshot. Like he found him open just inside the box and Enkedia yeah. took it first time right at the keeper. But if you watch yeah. that again, if you get a chance to watch the highlight of that particular shot, Aubameyang makes a sensational run and he's played on by the Newcastle left back. And it's a it's a run that was begging for a through ball. And I think Ozil five years ago sees that run, plays that seeing eye ball right into Aubameyang, you know, in on goal. And it's not a criticism of Ozil. It's just this was a really good performance that helped get the result. And and if he can produce performances like that, he's still a very valuable player to us. And maybe we just need to sort of put behind us, you know, what peak Ozil looks like and accept that something like this is still very valuable to have. Yeah, you, you have a follow-up for that? Uh, yeah, go ahead. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I was going to jump in. If I, I, I've been thinking about this, actually, and I've been think, I've been wondering how, to what extent, rather, has Ozil changed or the way we watched him has changed? Because do you remember when he started quite often? I don't know about anyone else. I, I think this is the experience a lot of people had, but... When he kind of first came, I'd go to games and I'd think he didn't really do much today. And then I'd go back and either watch the highlights or look at the data or do both and think, fuck me, he did loads, actually. Yeah, yeah. Um, whereas that doesn't seem to happen now. I, I don't know if like my eyes have adjusted to Ozil or if he's changed. I feel like I can really tell when he's influenced the game and when he hasn't. I think you're right. What he isn't anymore is that player he was four seasons ago, Mm. like picking out through balls and whipping in great free kicks and getting assists. To me, I think his value now is more in knitting the game together and being that guy that kind of creates a bit of a bridge between um, the front. Like he's almost become, not in style, right? But this was always why I advocated for Alex Kleb, even though his, um, as well, just, you know, beyond reasons like he just fit my eye and I just like players like that. But I I always kind of made this argument that he was almost like like a lubricant for the team, even though his kind of numbers were, were pitiful. And I completely understood like this almost comical aversion he had to shooting pissed people off but I always thought that he kind of greased the wheels of the team. I feel like that's the player Ozil has become more now. And I watched this game, and even though you're right, like he scored, you know, a goal at the end, which was, you know, a, a decent, he probably got a bit fortunate with the goalkeeper. Yeah, the finish but good was run, good, the move lovely. was brilliant. But... Yeah, the move was great, and it was great that he got in that position. But even like before that, I felt like, yeah, I, I was watching, and I was like, yeah, Ozil's running this game. And actually the, the difference um, in this, I mean, well, so the difference was fairly obvious in terms of Aubameyang moving a little bit more in field and being more of an inside forward than a winger in the second half. And you can see that in the first two goals, right? Because he's in the box to head the ball. And then for the second one, because he's more inside, Saka's more pushed up and he 
delivers the second goal. So that's the important change. But for me, watching it, I felt like, oh, Ozil's like, whether he's stepped up a gear or whether the game has just changed. I, I, as it was unfolding, I thought, yeah, Ozil's influence is growing. We're getting better. And I don't know. I'd be interested in your guys' opinions. Is that because he's changed as a player or of, of like I slash we adjusted to this player and we watch him in a different way now? Uh, well, I would say two things that, and Clive, I'll let you get in on that. But I, I would say cer- certainly, Tim, we have adjusted the way we watch. And I think he has trained us a little bit that movement and finding space and keeping things ticking over and keeping the ball is important. Like one thing I really appreciate about Ozil in that sort of right wing fielder role, sometimes he'll get the ball and he'll want to play it forward or look for an opening. There won't be one. And he'll carry it all the way back to the center of the pitch. You know what I mean? Around a guy, around another mm-hmm. guy, skip past another guy. But it just keeps possession, you know, and, and that, yeah. that to not he's technically res- yes. so precise. And that, yes. that's something he's never lost. He doesn't waste a pass. And, and you know what? Maybe the, the best part about him scoring the goal is look at the position he's in when he scores it. The one thing I think has been missing is that guy, that number 10 in this system has to be willing to burst beyond getting the goal, get, you know, get, get into the box and beyond the strikers and make what we would maybe traditionally identify as a Ramsey run. If he and gets, I think people yeah. have blamed his physical drop-off uh, for this. I'm not sure that's right. I think he's got almost all of the same physical capability he had before. I think his confidence has been way down. You you see it on this finish, right? Um, it, it, he's got so much class, he could have put that ball anywhere, and he puts it almost into the, the keeper's arms. I just think <laughs> he, he's not being aggressive enough into the box, but... He can pretty much do everything he did before. I mean, there's a sprint he has against one of their defenders in this thing where he, like, really lights it up, um, pushing him to get the ball. And he's still got a burst. He still can run 90 minutes. He's We're very effective pressing in this. And some players, you know, Enkedi didn't have a great game. Maybe we'll talk a bit more about that. But he did certain aspects of his job very well. The pressing, along with Ozil, Pepe, Aubameyang, um, you know, he, he's he's putting 90 minutes of physical effort, effort out there. And I think he's, uh, uh, to Tim's question, I think it's how we've watched him uh, has changed. I think we have be- more, much more educated eye and much more critical and discerning around Ozil. He's, he's educated us. But I also think he's dropped a bit more in confidence and his aggression into the final third and, and beating players and, and then going on and doing something with it. Yeah, and, and to be fair, look, I mean, this was a game against a low block and he got to operate in some positions that, that he likes to operate in, and I'm sure that helped. Clive, I, I, I want to get your take on, on that too because then I, I want to shift over to Pepe, who we have to have a good long chat about. But you want to sort of tie together the, the conversation about Ozil's performance and, and influence in this game? Yeah, I've always called Ozil almost like the oil to our engine. And yeah. I always judge him on basically how free, how hard he works to get free to be the oil to get us going. And I think, I, I said something, I might say it last week, that I think he's created a, a new normal. And we are now looking at him in a different way. We're not, the player that got the contract was an assist king. But now, we're not asking him to make assists. We're just asking him, please play well. Just get us going. Please play well. I think we've lowered our standards while he's up to his wages. 
Against, against the low block, he's perfect. No one's making him run backwards. I thought he done pretty well in this game. But I would expect him to do well in, in a game where we're playing a team that has the lowest possession of any other 20 teams in the Premier League. So I expect him to be on the ball. I thought Arteta picked an on-the-ball team with him in mind to get him into spaces, to get us going against a low block, to split them apart, which I thought he did increasingly well. I must admit, I watched his game in a, in a bar. <laughs> drinking again. I watched his game in a bar, and I had this memory of Almiron just running past... Jaka, Ozil and Tobias and that was my main memory of the first half and I, I tend to hold on to bad memories a bit too long I'm a bit hypersensitive in that regard but then I, when I can the teach game you how not to, to do flow, that Clive I, you know, <laughs> I, I don't do that <laughs> but, when, um, but when the game started to flow then he's part of the flow I, I would, you know what I'd love I would love him to make that run into the box at nil-nil be brave, do it at nil-nil really hurt teams, score the first goal, get the first assist be the player that breaks open the game totally and really is brave. That's what I do miss, Aaron Rams. I miss his bravery and, and I, I miss his I don't give a monkeys. I'm going in there anyway, regardless of what's behind me. I wish he was a bit braver um, and showed a little bit more of the technical bravery and leadership that I'd like to see. But hey, he played well. Right? I'm not going to criticise him. He played well. We won 4 0. We won that long for ages. So fair play to him. But I do think he has created a new normal well, which we judge him not by the standards but we pay him we judge him in a different way and I still would like to see a lot more of that in a more consistent basis away from home and against better opposition yeah and I mean I do think that you know there there is you know, call it a drop in physical level call it a change in tactics call it a lack of confidence whatever you want there's been an unwillingness by him to to make that second man run to, to burst into the box and beyond the striker and to the goal and he does it in this game, and he gets a goal, and granted, the game's already won at that point, but I think that doing that more will help unlock the attack. Now, you could argue maybe he's been instructed not to do it. I don't know. I can't speak to that. I just know that I think it would add, I mean, it sounds obvious, but I think it adds a threat. I think, Paul, I want to really focus on Pepe's game here because it is so important, but if you were Mikel Arteta, knowing what we know about him and what he's been trying to get Pepe to do, do you think you're going to be more excited about the one goal and two assists or leading the team with 10 ball recoveries? Um, yeah, well, he emphasized the the work uh, Pepe did defensively um, and maybe some props to Arteta in how well he uses the microphone. Um, he's used it with so many players now to an ev- to evince a reaction. And he's gotten that out of Pepe. I thought Ceballos looked charged up uh, physically as well. I think he was a lot more athletic. And I think that's another response to what Arteta is doing. And I mean, Arteta said that Pepe probably needs 15 games, 15 starts uh, to really uh, step into the role. And, and, and I mean, even Arteta talked about the price tag. When you think of the managers we've had and how they've used the microphone, um, Wenger was a master, but he'd always protect the players. Um, Arteta's much more aggressive in the statements he makes with that microphone. And Emery was just kind of a waste of time to be listening to him. And I think that was a major part of his issue with the players. They kind of stopped listening to him too because there was nothing coming from it. But Mm. 
every Arteta statement has a nugget in there somewhere. I don't know if you caught the uh, Lacazette thing where he said uh, he he was so excited by the re- reaction of the, the players and the team. They love Lacazette because he works his balls off. Those were the final words of the press conference. <laughs> um, and, you know, he just has a way with words of, in a couple of sentences, um, putting a message out there. And he's done that with Pepe, I think, masterfully. Uh, in this game... Yeah, Pepe was, uh, I thought he struggled in the first half um, to really find a foothold there uh, as more than any other player on the attacking end. I think Pepe was the guy really struggling to get into that that first half. But what I did notice early on, and Arteta talked about it, um, getting Aubameyang in as a second striker. Aubameyang talked about it, and Aubameyang talked about uh, practicing his headers is Pepe on a couple of occasions looked to find Obama Yang swinging in four headers. And that was a deliberate tactic um, in the first half once or twice. And that's where the goal comes from. Um, so he's been worked into the game plan, um, but it did take till the second half that he really started to light things up. But in the first half, his defensive work kind of paid off. So you got to see a bit of both. Yeah, and I mean, I look, <laughs> I'm not going to sit here and lie and say what I really appreciate about his performance that he won the ball back, because that's not true. But I do think that those are the things he has to do to stay in the team. So, Tim, I mean, you come back from a, a two-week break. Pepe was not used at all against Burnley, and I think we all agree that that was a pointed decision. I mean, we could have used mm. him, and we didn't. He apparently does what he's supposed to do over that two-week period, and he starts, and he plays well. And he gets the goals, and he gets the assists, and he does the work off the ball, and it just kind of looks like an Arteta masterclass in terms of man management. We'll see if that pays off with Ganduzi, who we'll come on to in a little bit. So, I mean, is this game for you uh, a testament to Pepe's quality and Arteta's man management sort of equally? Yeah, a little bit of both, a little bit of both. And um, I, I think a lot about this game just tells you that that break was needed. And uh, I think Arteta described it as like preseason. Um, and actually, I, I was thinking it was more like the two weeks he should have got when Emery should have been sacked. Don't do it. Don't. The- just don't. Because I, I wake up every day and the first thought in my mind is, why didn't he have the international break? I mean, that's literally my yeah. first thought every morning. Yeah, yeah. I mean, except, of course, with this one, it means he keeps all of his players and they're not. Well, there's actually quite a lot of Arsenal players who aren't internationals at the moment, which which might tell you something. But, you know, he, he got that two weeks. Um, which is why I say I expected something to change, but I didn't really know what it was. And and there are a few players who needed it. Not like I I don't think there's a single player in this team at the moment that I worry about fatigue-wise. Um, that might change as the Europa League swings back in. But um, you know, because they've all had spells out of the team for one reason or another, which again <laughs> tells you something. Um, or with the exception of Abamyang, who had a three-match ban just before this break, and Leno, who's the goalkeeper, no one's really played every single game. They've all had they've all had a break at some point. Um, so it wasn't fatigue I was worried about, but um, yeah, and I and I think a few messages. You know, like the one for Pepe, who himself didn't really have much of a preseason either because of um, because of Afcon um, over the summer with Ivory Coast. So, yeah, I, I think just a little bit of time just to get some of those key messages through to some of these players. Um, and and Pepe, yeah, I I I don't know if um, 
I don't know if this was like some kind of illusion on my part, but in this game, it felt a little bit less like Arsenal were doing that, you know, the five attacking lanes thing that we've been doing. Mm. This felt more like a front three to me. And I, I thought Pepe was picking up those half space positions a little bit more. And when you look at where that cross comes from for Aubameyang's first goal, he's not out on the touchline. He's where he is, is the corner of the penalty area. He's, he's about five or 10 yards further inwards. Um, and, and I felt he did that quite a lot. Um, you know, and, and Bellerin actually did the overlap, I think a little bit more, but maybe that's just because we, we changed ends this time. Um, we shot towards the North bank in the first half, which meant I had Pepe on my side in Mm. the first half, which hasn't, which hasn't happened before. So maybe I was just seeing things that I I haven't really seen because he's usually on the other side of the pitch at that stage. But I, I felt like his role was a little bit more prominent. It was a little bit less about holding the width. Um, and, and I felt like, Really, particularly in the second half, Abamyang and Inketia basically became a front two, um, and and yeah, it, it, it this felt that and Xhaka wasn't quite in that left back spot. He was he was much more central, um, and and actually Sabios who's who's kind of dropping deep a lot and and keeping possession ticking over. So there were some things that were different. Whether they helped um, to bring out a little bit more from Pepe, to be honest, I'm not sure. I don't know the player well enough yet. Um, All I can say in terms of insight is something different happened and we got a a better result. Um, Now, whether that's whether that's sustainable in the, in the mid to long term, we'll see, or whether it's just a series of coincidences. But I felt like he played a slightly different role in this game. And yes, and he did some of the intangibles as well, which, you know, um, you know, to which I say, congratulations, keep doing that. Yeah. And I mean, look, first of all, Tim, I mean, look where he scores the goal from. It's dead center. Right. I mean, he's he's standing on the penalty spot basically. And, and I just think if this game showed anything about Pepe, it's that, God, get in the box more, get closer to goal more, get into more central positions. I mean, his his ability to be dangerous in those positions was clear. And Clive, you know, as far as Pepe's game, I just think it had a little bit of everything. And you could say, well, his first assist to Aubameyang is nothing. It's a floated cross and Aubameyang does all the work. And by the way, just another reminder that even though he sometimes goes unmentioned and unnoticed, at nil-nil, who gets us the goal to put us ahead? Aubameyang. And he basically just makes it happen himself. A clever run to get onto a floated ball and do what he doesn't do very often, which is rise highest and, and head brilliantly home. So good for him. But you could also say, I mean, he should have had, Pepe should have had another assist with the ball to uh, Enkedia that he hits the crossbar. It's a beautiful play. Um, and and he sort of has the pre-assist on, is it Laka's? Uh, no, it's Ozil's goal. So I, I think it's just a great game altogether. Did you see anything different in, in his positions? For me, one thing I will say to answer the question uh, for you, <laughs> he seems to me, so under Emery early in the season, he was picking the ball up a lot in our own half, on halfway, and carrying it 15, 20 yards. He was he was the oil in the engine in a way. He was very direct, and he was progressing the ball, but he was starting so deep. Now his positions, I think, where he's receiving the ball tend to be a lot more advanced in the final third, and, and maybe that's what's paying dividends. Well, that's to do with our back line. That's why it's picking up so deep because our back line was sitting in the north bank, wasn't it? So, <laughs> yeah, <good laughs> so you just take your position up based on what you see behind you, right? So, but I think Tim makes Tim spotted something that I, that I spotted. I felt the system was far more traditional. I felt we had 
fullback supporting wide men on both sides, not just the one side. I didn't sense the old overload. I felt we had it as a traditional four-two-three-one, but almost not five channels, but nearly six. That makes sense because they were pushed back so far. I felt just the fact that Bellerin supported Pepe that fixed people. So you got to go two on one. As soon as Bellerin comes and joins in. They can't go and press him. So on the goal, they couldn't really go and press him because Bellerin just shows a bit of interest. They're thinking, well, if he sprints past him, I better hold my position here. That's when he taps it inside and, and floats the cross. They even says, oh, Newcastle should stop the cross. Well, they know what to do, stick or twist, because he was supported. On the left-hand side, Bamiyang was supported. And that naturally pushed him in, and that pushed him in into the role, which I think he should play a lot more often. He's got to get closer to the goal. It was interesting on his goal, Urza was outside him. And I'm thinking, not saying that's anything wrong with that, but I'm not saying Elsa should play wider, but I did feel positionally he was far more tactically aware of where he needed to be to hurt people. He was the one charged to hurt people. So to do that, I need to be in there, in that half space, driving in. So the one thing I did see that was different, not just the position on the pitch, but when he knocked the ball off on a couple of occasions, He's then gone after it, so off the ball running has improved. So he's knocked it and he's gone. Mm. So he didn't get in third man run or get in the return pass, and that aggression is great. That means you're going to have to you're going to think, well, next time he gets it, he might not knock it and run. He might just dribble it up and carry it. But by making that off the ball run and committing to it, what he's doing is creating space for next time he gets the ball to dribble. So he's not getting smashed as the ball arrives. So it's much more technically aware much more aware that I need to be the man to hurt them. And then he did it, and his positions on the pitch was really, really good. And I felt, it's interesting how we all watch the game differently, and lots of people today have been telling me, how glad you see Sabias and how well he played. I didn't really see that, because I was looking at Pepe. I'm not saying Sabias <laughs> yeah. didn't play well, but I'm thinking, you're the man that's broke open this game. You're the man that's got the killer second goal and created the first goal. I wanted Pepe and Aubameyang just to get closer together because they were the ones that were going to kill them. And um, eventually, they didn't need to be close together to create the first goal. Also, the second goal was, was lovely, 2-0, job done. But I like the people that do the job at 0-0 when I'm most stressed, who step up. And he stepped up, and I thought he was, I thought he was excellent on the day. Yeah, and, and I mean, look, he's, he's probably... You'd have to think, as long as he doesn't go into a huge uh, rut now or or doesn't get played, that he's going to finish the season in double double figures for goals and assists. And for a guy who's basically been slandered as a bust um, and had a first half of the season where he didn't play a lot and played for, you know, let's say, it, a, a bad coach who had a team that was playing poorly, I, I just still think the the ceiling on, on what he can do at Arsenal is, is as high as he wants it to be. And, and Arteta seems like the kind of guy to keep him focused. So I'm, you know, I'm, I'm super optimistic for what's to come from him. I, I do want to get your thoughts, Paul, on Nketiah. I know he's a, a guy that you have great affection for, and, and so I'm glad to sort of discuss him with you. And specifically sort of the, the interesting decision to have him start this game and and really play a lot of the game, even when it seemed like it wasn't working. I mean, look, on another day, he, he doesn't hit the crossbar. He scores that goal, and that's all it takes as a striker for people to say you did you did your job and you did well. Um but overall, I think if I had to judge anyone in this game as having looked maybe just a level below or a little bit off the level required, it gives me no pleasure to say it. I, I think it was in Kedia. Am I being harsh or do you think sure. that's a fair assessment? No, I think he'll uh, be a little disappointed he didn't grab the opportunity. 
Um, he looked a little lost from time to time in his role. Um, credit to Newcastle, you know, their 5-4-1 was going to hurt him more than anybody. It's a bit like that uh, the game we played with uh, Willock where he played a number 10 his first time out and he didn't see, you know, he was in that crowded space. And I think Eddie suffered from that a little bit. Um, I think he made good runs and uh, the goal the goal with Saka's nutmeg uh, where Pepe uh, runs into the channel to pick that up, um, the channel across the box. Um, Eddie, I'm not saying he does anything magical or mystical here, but he's on the six-yard line waiting for that ball there, which kind of opens up that line there. So he's he's making the runs. He's taking the positions you want of a striker. And I, one of my frustrations with Lacazette, although he's doing a lot of work these days, is he's not the guy getting into the six-yard box. <clears throat> Had uh, er, Eddie buried that chance, you know, he's exactly where you wanted him to be. And full credit to Pepe for that run and cutback. Um, I think when Eddie relaxes into the role a little bit more, feels he's earned the right to be out there, he'll do a little better. I think the consternation with Eddie starting and like, how could we start Eddie instead of Martinelli? Um, uh, There were generally a bunch of meltdowns before the game started. And I understand that. That's that's how games are before you start when you see the lineup. But we're committed to Aubameyang from the left as a second forward. And how much of a second forward he plays depends on how much how good we are getting the ball up the pitch. And I think Sabias had a lot to do with Ozil playing further forward, Pepe getting into the box, um, uh, and Aubameyang getting in there as a second strider. We had nine shots in the first half when all said and done. And that's not very typical of us. And I think uh, the way we played got other players up the pitch, but the guy who suffered a little bit was Eddie. I think he could have handled it much better, but I think the center of that pitch, um, he struggled a little bit, but he worked hard. He pressed, he got back um, to to make a few tackles um, and kind of do that dropping in thing Lacazette does, but Lacazette does it better. Mm. Um, and it rested up Lacazette to come on and score the goal that Arteta said he thought he should score. So, um yeah, it'll be interesting to see, though, what what happens next time out. The idea that this was a rotation uh, team and 11, I didn't buy that at all. I think Arteta has talked about many times about it's important for these players to find rhythm, and they will have lost some rhythm, and we saw that in the first 30 minutes. Um, so I don't think this is a rotation team and that we'll send out the real team against uh, Olympiakos on Thursday. I think there's a very good chance that almost every one of these players at least went into this game with an eye to nailing down a position against Olympiakos. So it'll be interesting to see what happens then. Does Lacazette come back? That's probably the one position where it's his easiest call to make. A, Certainly. A, a yeah. yeah, but it won't be Martinelli because he doesn't play as a center forward under Arteta and he hasn't been drilled and Arteta's I mean, it, a it, system guy. It and could it won't be, be Aubameyang. Aubameyang up front. So you it, think, no, because he can't be. do that hold up and build play kind of stuff that he wants from that and position. And it's not how we play. I mean, the whole think of all the knock-on effects, the Saka role versus Aubameyang, everything we've been working well, you'd on. Just, then you'd play Martinelli at left wing. So it would be Martinelli for Enkedia, but Martinelli would move left and Aubameyang would move central. 
it's doable, but it's kind of it's breaking the structure. It's kind of and the the idea that he could have done it for this game, play Martinelli against Enkedia. It's kind of like is the does is the manager a man of his word when he put, holds back a player from going on loan and says I I will give you chances if you work hard. I mean I didn't really see that you just drop in Martinelli in a position he isn't playing etc. So it made sense to me. It took some balls. Um, he was true to his word. I think and Katia could have done a little better though. Yeah, I mean Tim, is there sort of a risk here? And this is like you know, playing 3D chess psychologically, but where Arteta was like, look, I promised Ceballos minutes, I promised Enkedia minutes, we're playing one of the worst teams in the league. And you could say, well, they're level on points with us. Look at any of their advanced metrics. I mean, they're the worst at creating goals and the third worst at conceding them. I mean, they've been awful. Is it possible that he was like, mm. this is a perfect spot for me to get the minutes to Enkedia and Ceballos that I kind of promised them, keep them, you know, in the fold, keep a few players rested and ready for the big game against Olympiacos. And then lo and behold, this team goes out and wins 4-0 and gives them a really hard decision, which to their credit, that's what players should do. Give the manager a hard decision. But do you agree with Paul that this is by no means a rotated side, that this was an audition for Thursday? Or do you think it was meant to be a rotated side that now has given him a very tough choice to make? Yeah, quite possibly. Um, I'm not sure that much, I don't want to say that much thought went into it. I'm, I'm not sure it's quite as, I, I think there's a measure of, well, we've got to rotate because the Europa League's back and we're playing on Thursday and that's very important. Um, and yes, the, you know, some of the players that came in will give him a tough choice now because from what we're hearing, Genduzi was was dropped for reasons that weren't football and therefore would Ceballos have played had that happened quite possibly not you'd have had Genduzi there instead I certainly think Sabios has given him something to think about um but a then, hell of like a lot say, to think about I think you'd have to say yeah 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 um but then again you know different teams pose different challenges and yeah like you say like Newcastle uh, Newcastle aren't the sort of team that are going to come to the Emirates and give you midfield the run around. Um, so it, it certainly made some sense. I, I thought it made perfect sense to play Sabios anyway, even separating the Genduzi situation. And Ketia, um, I think, yeah, I think this was a good way of getting him a game. And look, he kept him for a reason. And that's not just, you know, uh, nobody, nobody was expecting him to do that. So he did that for a reason he did that because he sees something he was under no pressure to do it and he didn't you know he didn't have to promise in or anything really um but but Lacazette wasn't really producing um I, I didn't see all of the Burnley game I only saw the highlights but from what I gather he what he didn't even really do the stuff that he usually does well well as well as not looking like scoring I think what's really interesting is actually Lacazette scoring has has given him, you know, that that's possibly the worst thing that could have happened to Nketiah because I, I very much think that, that the only real problem for Lacazette was that he needed a goal and you could see his relief when he got it. And um, what was really and the, funny, And what it meant to the team know, too. You yeah, know, I mean, look at the celebration, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and you know, like that old cliche about, oh, it just needs one to like go in off your ass or something. And actually, when you look at the Lacazette goal, he completely mishits it. <laughs> and it goes in, it turns out to be the perfect strike by complete accident because he messes it up, which is just like that cliche absolutely summed up because his confidence is so low in front of goal that he can't even strike a ball cleanly when given that much time and space. But the fact his that immediate went reaction, in, Tim's hilarious because yeah. like you can see on his face that he thinks it's hilarious it went in off his ankle but yeah. he doesn't give a shit he got exactly. his goal exactly yeah. and now if you give him that exact chance again that won't happen he'll just put it in without thinking about it so there's kind of a double irony at play God, there I hope so. but the, <laughs> yeah but the, the the fact that he's scored now i think means that he will come in for Enketia now i, I thought Enketia was fine i, I don't think he was brit- i think the thing is with Enketia is he's I've said this before. I think he's, I think he's quite good, um, but like is quite good. He, like he's quite good at doing the drop off link up stuff. He's quite good at scoring goals. I'm, I'm not sure he does either of those things at a level that really makes you think that he's Arsenal's next number nine. Um, and I think Lacazette's goal probably brings him back into the fold. Um, but yeah, it's it's given. Listen, it's given uh, it's given Arteta plenty to think about and. And even when you think about centre-back, right, because he's playing Mustafi at the moment, I think principally because he can pass the ball a lot better than Socrates can. And we've got, you know, at time of recording, we've got Pablo Marie playing in, in the under-23s at the moment, and he can do that. So when he's back, you know, that gives, you know, that gives him another option. And look, the Europa League's back now, and assuming we get through against Olympiacos, that puts us back on the treadmill we've not been on since the new year, really, which is two games a week, and we're going to need to rotate. Um, So, you know, it's kind of not neither here nor there, but the likes of Inketia, Sabios, Genduzi, Torreira, like, there's plenty of games to go around uh, from this point onwards. Yeah, and I mean, the way this game finished is something we haven't experienced in a while. Just sort of that celebratory atmosphere of, you know, the game's won and you're scoring goals for fun at the end just because why not? The players are feeling good. And getting that good feeling back into the team just before the knockout rounds in Europe come back, you could not have asked for a better time for this. Um, and it is ironic how football works, right? Because, <laughs> I mean, Eddie Nketiah hits the ball pretty sweetly. He makes good, clean contact, but he hits the crossbar. Lacazette kicks a ball off his own foot. And scores. And that might be the difference between Lacazette getting his place back and Eddie losing his. And and by the way, I'm not saying that Eddie was good enough generally to keep it, but those are the margins. Um, Clive, one thing that yep. I, I think people scratch their heads about a little. Look, we, we had Unai Emery, who the minute the first ball was kicked, was wondering if it was too early to make his first substitution um, because he had gotten everything wrong from the start. Mikel Arteta is going back to maybe more the Arsene Wenger mentality in a way of let them play through it. Let them solve the problem on the pitch. Trusting that the system he's put in place and the players he's picked can solve the problem. And I I do like that that gives them the chance to get into a flow. Because look, football, you know, we were bad for 25, 30 minutes in this game. But that's football. Very, very rarely are you dominant 90 minutes. And so you never know. Maybe you're team is bad for the first 45 minutes, but there's a 20-minute period of dominance in them. Now, sometimes there's clearly something that's not working. You've obviously made an error and you have to change it, but 
Sometimes it's just a matter of them needing to solve the problems for themselves out on the pitch, and the team did that in this game, and he waited, I think, until the 82nd minute to make his first sub uh, when Torreira came on for Ceballos, I believe, in the 85th minute when Lacazette came on for Enkedia. So do you like this idea of trusting the players to solve the problem, or are you feeling that he's maybe not using his, his subs bench as effectively as he could? You were breaking up for me a bit there, so oh, I, I, oh, pre- I presume that was to me. Yeah, yeah, sorry, that's that's to you, Clive. I mean, I'd be happy to ask it to someone else if you'd like to just have a drink and take the night off. No, I, I couldn't hear, but it's no problem. But, um, Do you want the yeah, question I, again? I, ba- basically, no, just I, I, how he's using the subs bench. You know. Yeah, he's, he's, he, I, I like how he's managing this group of players, full stop. I think he's really, he's rewiring the club. That's what he's doing. He has, he has put, he has, he's doing something which I think, uh, I don't want to overstate it, but I think it's spectacular what he's what he's actually trying to do. Because what he's actually doing, he's trying to re rewire a new culture into the club, a new set of this is how we behave, a new set of success criteria. Everything that he seems to be doing is about this is what you need to do, this is how you behave, this is how you train. When you do these things well, you are going to play. I don't care about what your name is, and then I'm going to give you a chance, and then I'm going to keep on the pitch as long as possible, give you a fair go. I'm going to back my decision. And so everything that he's doing is around that at the moment. I think it's a a very brave thing to do, because when you get your first job, the first thing you're thinking about is, I need a result, I need a result, I need a result at all costs. And what he's doing is he's not putting himself first, he's putting the club first. And the players can see this. And because he's looking over the horizon, they're thinking he's not scared. He's not scared to drop me. He's, I, I, need, I need to get into his good side. You know, I need to get into his good side. And so now the players are in his hands rather than the other way around. I felt previously sometimes the players have been too strong and he's holding, he's holding his line and he is saying, nope, Eddie's playing. Are you going to get good time? And I agree with him. I thought he did well in the game. I didn't think he had anything wrong with him. <laughs> Other players are on the pitch. They're getting good time. You can't say you've not had an opportunity to be dragged off after 45 minutes. You're getting good time. I like what he's doing. He's also given his, himself time to get a message across about how we're playing and how he wants us to change how we're playing. And so when you're a player, you're thinking, OK, I'm there. Half time's come. I've got a chance to fix this now. So when I come out in the second half, it's in my hands to turn this around and do what he says, up the energy, up the speed, up the intensity, up the quality, bang, 2-0, just after 15 minutes into the first, into the second half. It's it's a different game. We can now play the game we want to play. We can have smiles on our faces until they hit the post. Smiles <laughs> on our faces. And then, um, and, then, and then we go from there. So I quite like it. I quite like what he's doing to re-establish to sort of the the Arsenal way, he's almost doing an, an Arteta way. Mm. He's re-establishing something that I think I I I I am so excited about what I'm seeing. I'm holding back. I don't want to go over the top because <laughs> nothing to go over the top. because because nothing's there yet. But if you if you look and you read and you watch, and I'm sure we're all doing that. You can see he is rewiring the culture of the club about what's acceptable, and it is brilliant. And I'll tell you, we just got to stay behind him. Well, it's interesting, right? Because in a way, I mean, we very much think of Emery as not having been a good man manager 
despite the fact that he was also not very much of a disciplinarian. And Arteta seems to be much more of a disciplinarian, but certainly appears to have buy-in and, and have you know players on side with that. So, so what, players, I think players what crave doing, what that direction. So, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. You're breaking. Sorry, man. Oh, no, what no, go ahead. Yeah, doing, go for it. One, one last thing. What he's doing, when you come in and you start talking about things like non-negotiables, we all listen and go, oh, yeah, non-negotiables, great. He's creating new standards, well done, blah, blah, blah. Get the new manager bounce, all the rest of it. When you actually say, these are my non-negotiables, and then people are not acting correctly, and they're ignoring those non-negotiables, then you're forced into action. And then you have the authority and the discipline. Because if you decide, well, actually, these guys are not doing what I want them to do, so they're not playing. And to play, you have to do this. And when they do it, then they play. And then he's highlighting to it afterwards, saying, Tobias was a great example. He wasn't fit enough. He wasn't training well. Now he's training well. Didn't he play well? Done. That's the message to the whole dressing room, to the whole club, about what really counts. There's a couple of people sulking at the moment. I'm sure you're going to get on to them. A couple of people sulking. It's up to them. Either come and join the show or you don't. But the show's not changing. The show's going to go on without you. right? And the, and the people are on board. They're on board and they're going to have the, the time in the limelight where you're sitting there in the coat. right? So you've got to decide what you want to do. And I think it's great what he's doing. Yeah, and I definitely think that you want your football club to be a meritocracy at some level in that your performances and your behavior keep you in the team or get you out of the team. And then if they are righted, they get you back into the team. So that seems to be working. And I mean, that's going to lead us to a conversation that we'll probably wrap up with on the Ganduzi thing. But before we do, Paul, I just want to talk about how this Manchester City Champions League ban, assuming everything goes the way we believe it will, fifth place will now be a Champions League spot. And in a way, it changes the calculus for Arteta because... Good Lord, I mean, pretty much you could have assumed that Champions League was gone. I mean, I think in most models we were less than 1% to make the Champions League to get into the top four. And as a result of that, it was, you know, it was easy. Just write off the league and play for the Europa League. But now with fifth place being a Champions League place, like, that's not gone. I'm not going to say it's easy. I'm not going to say it's even likely, but it's something he has to think about. So do you think this changes the calculus for him? And and does he now have to really like recalibrate to focusing on the league because fifth place is, is not, a, you know, is, is not beyond our capacity. So I think the, this, uh, this new gate into the champions league is a bit of a mirage for Arsenal. It feels like suddenly, it's back on, but the realities are we're still a mile off. But can, can I tell you something that backs purpose. you up there, just real quick? The the five thirty eight yeah. and their their soccer predictions aren't always the best. I say soccer, obviously football. I apologize. Will never happen again. Um, but basically, I think we went from less than one percent in their um in their model to now two percent. So our chances more than doubled. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you're saying there's double the uh, so chance. you're saying there's a chance exactly. Yeah. Um, so, but it does feel like it's back on. And he said something like that himself, that after the Burnley game, it felt like we were screwed. Uh, but now in brackets because of this Newcastle game, but I think he didn't want to say the words because him and city and pep, he doesn't want to be opening that door and that conversation piece, but obviously it just feels like it's possible again which I think serves the purpose that you need a, a carrot uh, 
for our collective donkey to chase. Hang on, I'm not sure about this analogy. Um, <laughs> you know, you you can't send out experimental teams for the Premier League uh, and rest pl- players and rotate in the Premier League and uh, knowing it's a hollow exercise you're going through and it's all about the Europa League. I don't think that works. I think you've got to believe that you're the, the Premier League still on and play in that way if... Uh, when the rubber meets the road in the Europa League, you're sending out a, a hardened team that's got its rhythm, that's got its focus. As soon as the Premier League looks like a bit of a hollow exercise, I think that's going to impact uh, your your Europa League. So we need at least the illusion of the Champions League places. I, I don't think it's realistic. It's not so much the gap to fourth or the gap to fifth it's also all the teams between us and there um who are good teams wolves are not going to just cough up their spot ahead of us uh united um are still united they're this weird club that play terrible and every time you watch them you think they're awful and yet their stats are okay and their position in the t- in the table still kind of has a certain uh floating with gravity so they're always going to be around that uh, six-ish mark tottenham are unfortunately good enough apparently with Mourinho there well god uh, they, they got rescued at the end Paul. i mean the thing that's oh, so fuck. frustrating is if they if they draw that sheffield game which they or villa game which they should have they'd be on 38 points and that means we'd be looking up to yep. take place sheffield you know just five points ahead of us so yeah that that was a big turning point it was and i think I think they're good enough with Mourinho, and I, I always said I thought their squad kind of suited Mourinho. I think they'll eke out enough points that they're not going to fall precipitously, which is what we need. I, I don't think any of the teams between us and the top four are intimidatingly great. We're ju- we've just given them too much ground, so we might pull back one or two of them because they drop, but they're not all going to drop, so... But it may serve its purpose that uh, the carrot is there, that that our season feels alive until long enough that the Europa League can then take over. Yeah, and I mean, a lot of this will be clarified relatively soon because uh, I believe the Manchester City game has been, been rearranged. Does anybody know, do we have a date for when the Manchester City game will be? Has that been announced? It hasn't, right? So, no. so I mean, we play, we're home to Everton after the Olympi- uh, first leg of the Olympiacos tie. We're then, oh, we got FA Cup, we got Olympiacos again. Then we're home to West Ham. Then we're at Brighton, at Southampton, home to Norwich before we go to Wolves, Leicester, Spurs, Liverpool. I mean, basically, whether fifth place is realistic or not, sort of like the Project 36 earlier in the season, we need max points from Everton at home, West Ham at home, Brighton away, Southampton away, Norwich away, Norwich at home. If we can do that, and it's doable. I mean, we've had <laughs> easy runs that look doable that we butchered earlier in the season. But then I think you'd look at the table and we would be in touching distance and and it could get really interesting. Um, and maybe that 2% chance turns into a, who knows, even a 4% chance. Uh, let's end on this, Tim. Unfortunately, look, a day of great football, a day of uh, uh, goals, some great goals, some some really um, much-needed lift to the club. Unfortunately, one little black mark on it is the rumored reports of, or the reports of a rumored bust-up between Arteta and Ganduzi. Uh, started on the training pitch in Dubai, continued to the hotel that evening, left out. Arteta asked about Ceballos. Interestingly, he said his behavior and training was wrong. His behavior has been better. 
and uh, his performance was what I wanted. As a contrast to him saying, when asked why Ganduzi wasn't playing, basically saying that he he needs to get his behavior right, and his behavior hasn't been right. So mm. it does appear that there is uh, fire to the smoke. My question to you is just, how big a deal is this, or is it no deal at all? At the moment, no deal at all, really. As, as you've um, as you've kind of illustrated there, he's kind of said something similar about a couple of players now, Pepe, and you know, in the short term, we can say he's got a tune out of him. Um, he kind of, well, actually, he defended us a little bit more, didn't he, during this break, where he said, you know, look, it's going to take him a while to get back to his level, and I think that probably hints at what Paul was talking about about his confidence. And uh, yeah, he's he's he said this about other players at this stage and Sabios, who he seemed to be very lukewarm on. And uh, he, I, I mean, I think basically Arteta's trying to do what what Emery was trying to do, which he recognises that the culture at this club needs to change. And I think we all recognise that. Um, and Emery recognised it too. I I think the problem Emery maybe came up against was that he tried the. I'll go for the biggest guy in the room. <laughs> I'll, you know, I'll, I'll try and take out the biggest guy in the prison to get some respect. And um, it's ballsy, but if it doesn't work, um, you'll end up with a pickaxe in your head in the middle of the night. Um, and, and that's kind of what happened with Emery. And also he kind of, I guess he muddled it and et cetera, et cetera. I, I, I kind of trust, and maybe it's like a, a a kind of confirmation bias on my part. I trust Arteta more with this message because I think he's clearer with it. And I think it's also clear that he'll, maybe reward is the wrong word, but it's it's kind of like, yep, Ceballos wasn't quite doing it in training. Now he is, gets picked, plays well. Thank you very much. Pepe wasn't quite left out. You know, bucks his ideas up, gets picked, has a great game. Thank you very much. Everyone feels a bit nicer about that. So at, at, at the moment, I'd say um, there's nothing really to worry about. Obviously, if it becomes an ongoing issue, then there is. And uh, that might test Arteta's mettle as well. Um, if that happens, albeit Gendouzi is different to, you know, Emery tried to take on Ozil and to some extent Ramsey. Um, and that's that's quite different. And from some of the stuff Lauren Koscielny has said um, and and what he did, it, it kind of makes you wonder what their relationship was like um, as well. But I, I just think maybe Arteta's got the people skills here and that this is like real meritocracy and not just a case of I'm going to go for the biggest guys um, to make a point. Um, maybe that's unfair of me to say that about Emery because I don't know that that's the case. Maybe that's just the way things panned out. And to be fair, you know, Pepe it maybe falls into that category and, and Arteta said stuff about him as well. But um, yeah, I, I think everyone recognises really that the culture at Arsenal needs to change. Um, and, you know, Arteta's trying to go about doing that and going about doing that. And, and he said a lot of stuff, you know, when he took over about how, you know, about returning Arsenal to what they were. And, you know, he made a lot of references to changing the culture. And he, he spoke about that Man City game where he was on the bench for City and he said he was just sad by what he saw. Um, and, he, and he, you know, he's going, he's going some way to trying to fix that. Obviously, time will tell, Um particularly in this scenario, whether whether he's done the right thing. But at this stage, I'm not worried. It happened to Iwobi, didn't it? Iwobi was a bit silly, um, had too much to drink at a party, got dropped, came back in, no real problem after that. So at the moment, it's in the isolated incident 
bracket. Um, but, you know, obviously we'll, we'll see if and how things develop in the next couple of weeks. I, I'm not hugely worried just because Genduzi was taken out of the team at Arteta at the, the kind of beginning and he kind of fought his way back in. Um, so in that respect, it's unfortunate for him that this has happened at the point where he fought his way back in. But he's already shown once that he's got the kind of the humility and the confidence to fight his way back. So um, I think the other I, thing that helps him, Tim, maybe is the fact that he's friends with Aubameyang Lacazette. You know, he's in that little clique yep. where they're his big brothers and they can kind of steer him right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And And look, sometimes circumstance helps you in that. If you're going to drop Ganduzi to teach him a lesson, losing 3-0 and having Ceballos play like shit wouldn't help. <laughs> Winning 4-0 and Ceballos being a candidate for man of the match, the guy who ostensibly got your place, like that's going to let Ganduzi know, oh, hey, you know, it's not just going to be handed back to you. Like I reference it a lot, but when Arsene Wenger tried to discipline Alexis by benching him for the Liverpool game and brought him on at halftime, you know, that's, that's the definition of a muddled message. Like, you know, you can't start, but Oh shit, we're dying. We need you. Um, you know, Ganduzi has proven to be replaceable. And I look, there are people who think Ganduzi's shit, want to believe Ganduzi's shit. And we'll just use any chance that there's negative press for him to confirm that bias we all confirm our biases i'm not blaming anybody if, if that's how you're taking this because I, I get it i do it too he's he's a good player and what arteta is doing with him right now is good and it's healthy and hopefully he will take it in a good healthy way and and it will be a positive learning experience for him last little bit here clive because because we got to go i got a hard stop but um nope. europa league i was about to say champions league sadly no europa league back thursday arguably the biggest part of our season now returning Ironically, in those 538 prediction models that I, I referenced earlier, they actually have Olympiacos, I think, 51 to 49 favorites in this tie. Uh, the betting markets have us huge favorites, but it is a way first. It's not easy. Just really, really quickly, your expectation of what the team might look like and what you think will happen on Thursday. What's happening? I think the team, uh, I'm not too worried about the team, I've already said it, but what, what, when I'm walking towards this game, I'm thinking. Our bottom isn't too low anymore. I'm not seeing, I'm not seeing us getting ripped apart regularly. I, I, I sometimes feel as though we're not as dominant as I'd like in certain areas, but then we are. Then we go dominant in the next five minutes, and it's like game over. Do you know what I mean? It's so, it's it's difficult to judge this team at the moment. I'm I'm really struggling with it. <laughs> I got bones for you. Not the analysis, but how I feel watching these games. I feel really nervous watching them really nervous and it's because my expectations are heightened by what I think is really happening and I so wanted to succeed you know I, I want this guy to succeed because I think he's doing some really good stuff and if he if we mess up on the football pitch then we won't see somebody which I think has got some incredibly high potential in, in, in the new manager so I think I think we'll be fine because I think we've solidified things I really do and that means we're creating a platform which our talent can shine. I do feel we must get Pepe and Aubameyang inside a lot more. If we do that, we have two incredibly good and incredibly dangerous players. Let's not misuse them. Yep. Let's not have them tracking fullbacks. It's just not right. We have to change things to get them inside and we'll be fine. Olympiacos have the impetus to, to come out and play at home in the first leg and, and try to get goals and I think that that could make them vulnerable. We'll see. The one thing I will say is um, 
you know, there have been a lot of false dawns. So let's just hope. I mean, you could not have asked for a better time for us to have a big win, good performances all over the pitch. Let's just, you know, go from strength to strength, as they say, and and dominate and win comfortably and then go on and dominate and win comfortably every single game the rest of the season. Um, By the way, Arsene Wenger comes out, asked about City. Quote, people who don't respect the rules have to be punished. Uh, He went in two-footed on Manchester City, and you love to see it. Uh, So he's only gone and done it again, as the kids say. Pause on Twitter. Pause my pants. Thanks, pause. Woohoo! Tim's on Twitter. Stoberto, thanks, Tim. My pleasure, as always. Clive's on Twitter at Clive PFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. Talk to you tomorrow for the rewatch, my friend. You got it. Okay, if you want to uh, rewatch and enjoy the second half of Newcastle uh, Arsenal, you can anytime without us. But if you'd like to do it with us, sign up for Patreon. It'll be out tomorrow. In any event, we love you. Uh, more to come this week and certainly a post-match podcast after the European tie as well. And uh, yeah, all good things. Continue to grow and build and develop under Arteta. Very exciting. We'll talk to you after Arsenal 10. Olympiacos. Yes.